Alright. So, on tonight's panic attack, YouTube, YouTube, as my friend Chuck would say, uh, and the Anchor Podcast, we're going to talk about Trump's press conference today and um, some WrestleMania memories. Um, I'm going to flip some things around here on the computer, though. All right. So, today Trump laid into uh, his critics in the press. And I, I don't think it's uh, criticism is the right word for it. Because it's straight out lies and misrepresentations of the truth. They're reporting their opinion of what Donald Trump says uh, and does instead of reality. And it's really sad. Uh, be, well, Joe Biden is sad. He's a sad, tired old man. He's not sad himself, but the condition he is in is sad. And so the media has to do all they can because Trump's approval ratings are going up and up. Now, I don't know how many times 49% can be his all-time high, but like every time I click on something, probably clickbait really, it says, you know, Trump approval rating all-time high. Um, and so, and of course, the 60% of the American people think he's done a good job of handling this uh, sickness that's going around. So, with that... Um, Trump fought back today. He played this public service announcement. One of the reporters in the room compared it to a campaign video. Um, right after it was played, and I didn't see which reporter it was that they didn't even, you know, uh, say their name. But, you know, he said, I've been sitting in this press room for umpteen years, and I've never seen a video like that played in here. That was like a campaign video. And it kind of was. And Trump has got to watch where he's stepping uh, the reporters asked him who put this video together, and he said a you know, a couple members of the White House staff. And he said, he said names, and one of the names was Don. I don't know if that meant Don Jr. or that there's somebody at the White House that is named Don. Uh, but he, you know, he said you know some staff at the White House put this together a couple hours ago, and I'll let you listen to it. Uh, if this doesn't come across good on YouTube, 
there's going to be a link to the entire press conference in the description. The uh, video I'm talking about in particular is at one hour and nine minutes into the video. So the video within the video is at the one hour and nine minute mark. Uh, this is from, pardon me, the overall press conference video comes from The Hill. And of course with these videos, they sit there for like an hour before the press conference starts waiting for the president and his team to enter. And uh, the media's cameras are rolling while there's nobody in the room. So you can sit and stare at an empty room for an hour if you want. Or you can skip ahead and go to like one hour, nine minutes and see this uh, video. Here we go. All right, so now it's showing a timeline of the actions Trump took. Even as partisans, as there were more cases, and it was clear that it was spreading out of China, where it originated, the president took this move that he was widely criticized for by Democrats and even some Republicans at the time, which was he halted a number of flights from China into the U.S. The idea was to halt the spread of the disease, keep transmissions to a minimum. He was accused of xenophobia. What the hell is xenophobia? At the end of the day, it was probably effective because it did actually take a pretty aggressive measure against the spread of the virus. This team is on it. They've been responsive late at night, early in the morning, uh, and they've uh, thus far been doing everything that they can do, and I want to say thank you. And I want to say that I appreciate it. He returns calls. He reaches out. Uh, he's been proactive. Uh, we got that mercy ship down here in Los Angeles. That was directed because he sent it down here. 2,000 uh, medical uh, units came to the state of California, these FMS, these, these field medical stations. Uh, and that's been very, very helpful. The president has been uh, outstanding uh, through all this. The vice president's been outstanding. Members of the coronavirus task force, very responsive. We had asked if we could have, New Jersey could have access to a piece of the 
beds that are on the USNS Comfort, and the president came back, called me a short few minutes before I walked in here to say, indeed, they would grant that to New Jersey. So that's a big step for us, in addition to all the other capacity. That news is literally hot off the press, and I thank the president and vice president who are on the call together. President Trump approved Arizona's request for presidential major disaster declaration. I want to thank the president for a quick turnaround. We requested this on a Wednesday, and we had approval by Saturday morning. And we are grateful to the administration for their continued support and responsiveness. Well, first of all, I want to uh, thank uh, the, the, the president, the vice president, for doing a really good job of communicating with all the governors. Let's listen to the president for a minute. Okay, so the New York Times printed a hit piece. Um, I have glimpsed at it, but I have not uh, read the article. I won't give the New York Times my business. If I can find a way to read it for free, I will do so. But, in fact, there probably is a way to do it for free. It's probably really easy. I just I spent Easter Sunday with family and I wasn't going to do anything else on Easter Sunday. And then today there were supposed to be uh wicked storms in Ohio, so I didn't which uh the wicked storms didn't develop thankfully, at least not here. Um but I didn't I didn't feel like working today. Because I thought it was going to uh, be hairy cat weather out there. So, uh, then we have Dr. Fauci, who I think is a, a hero in this. A lot of conservatives are criticizing him that he's a Democrat plant. That These people have been locked in their houses, okay? Um, I have a couple friends... Uh, that I was members of the Tea Party with, and Tea Party was not racist. We didn't start because of Obama. We started under George W. Bush when he bailed the banks out. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we didn't like Obama's tax increases, and we didn't like the uh, health care system he was proposing. But it came and it went, and... <clears throat> everybody lived. No, not everybody, nobody got to keep their doctor and their insurance. And insurance premiums did not go down, they went up. But hey, it's government. It's their job to lie to you, right? 
But anyway, some of these Tea Party friends of mine are so conspiracy driven anyway. And frankly, for uh, a railroad and train engineer, which takes a, a lot of smarts, <coughs> but that's like the only, there's a difference in book smarts and common sense. And the other one is a airplane pilot, which also takes a lot of smarts. Um, and, but they're, they, they so want to conspiracy theory. They're dang near like Alex Jones stupid. And Alex Jones is a genius, but you, you can tell by the way he talks. He's at that level where he overthinks so much that he drives himself insane. He is insane there. But these people that I'm talking about, you know, post the dumbest things on Facebook. Um, and, you know, my cousin, uh, his cheating ex-wife put uh, on their Fauci for prison. Uh, kind of like they had Hillary for prison. And then I said... I said something, you know, may I ask why? And she said, well, he's, you know, for vaccine, he wants this vaccine, and they're going to put a computer chip in you, and he wants, you know, mandatory vaccines for everyone, and one world currency is coming, and one world government, and I'm like, oh, Dr. Fauci is not behind all that, but I just let her go. I know how she is. Um... So, anyway, um, these are the kind of people that critique Dr. Fauci. And so, everything's got to be taken with a grain of salt, and not everything is a conspiracy. Here are Dr. Fauci's own words about an interview he did over the weekend and the way it was misinterpreted. starting to balance off and I think the more as we go by each day I think we're going to see and again I never like to get ahead of myself or of Dr. Burks but it looks like even though we've had a really bad week last week remember when I was speaking to you before I was saying this was really a bad week uh, there's still going to be a lot of deaths but we're starting to see in some areas now that kind of flattening particularly in a place that was a hot spot like New York that's the first thing the second thing is that I had a really very, very productive conversation with the Congressional Black Caucus uh, this morning uh, for about an hour, and they really wanted to know what exactly are we going to be doing in the immediate, as well as the long range, about the health disparities and the discrepancies both in infection and in poor outcome in the minorities in general, but specifically African-American. And I mean, I made it very clear to them that what we have to do is focus on getting the resources where the vulnerable are to be able to get testing done, to be able to get the appropriate um, uh, identification where proper and where appropriate to isolate and contact trace if we can, but also to help mitigate in a community that is, is suffering and suffering much more disproportionately. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. The other point I wanted to make is that I, I, I had uh, an interview yesterday that I was asked a, a hypothetical question. 
Uh, and hypothetical questions sometimes can get you into some difficulty because it's what would have or could have. The nature of the hypothetical question was if, in fact, we had mitigated earlier, could lives have been saved? And the answer to my question was, as I always do, and I'm doing right now, perfectly honestly, say, yes. I mean, obviously, if you, mitigation helps. I've been up here many times telling you that mitigation works. So if mitigation works and you instigate it and, and you initiate it earlier, you will probably have saved more lives. If you initiated it later, you probably would have lost more lives. You initiated at a certain time. That was taken as a way that maybe somehow something was at fault here. So let me tell you from my experience, and I can only speak from my own experience, is that we have been talking before any meetings that we had about the pros and the cons, the effectiveness or not of strong mitigations. So discussions were going on mostly among the medical people about what that would mean. The first and only time that Dr. Burks and I went in and formally made a recommendation to the president to actually have a, quote, shutdown in the sense of not really shutdown, but to really have strong mitigation. We discussed it. Obviously, there would be concern by some that, in fact, that might have some negative consequences. Nonetheless, the president listened to the recommendation and went to the mitigation. The next second time that I went with Dr. Burks into the president and said, 15 days are not enough. We need to go 30 days. Obviously, there were people who had a problem with that because of the potential secondary effects. Nonetheless, at that time, the president went with the health recommendations and we extended it another 30 days. So I can only tell you what I know and what my recommendations were. But clearly, as happens all the time, there were interpretations of that response to a hypothetical question that I just thought it would be very nice for me to clarify because I didn't have the chance to clarify. Thank you. You know, I, to be honest with you, I don't even remember what the date was, but I can just tell you the first and only time that I went in and said we should do mitigation strongly. The response was, yes, we'll do it. And what did you do? the travel restrictions? No. Uh, the travel restriction is separate. That was whether or not we wanted to go into a mitigation stage of 15 days of mitigation. The travel was another recommendation. When we went in and said, we probably should be doing that, and the answer was yes. And then another time was, we should do it with Europe, and the answer was yes. And the next time, we should do it with the UK, and the answer was yes. You said there was pushback. Yeah. Where did that pushback come from? No, it wasn't. That was the wrong choice of words. You know what it was? When people discuss, not necessarily in front of the president, when people discuss, they say, well, you know, this is going to have maybe a harmful effect on this or on that. So it was a poor choice of words. There wasn't anybody saying, no, you shouldn't do that. Are you doing this voluntarily or did no, the president I'm doing it? I, everything I do is voluntarily. Don't even imply that. So, the reporter asked him, um, are you doing this, pardon me, the reporter there at the end asked Dr. Fauci, are you doing this voluntarily, or did the president put you up to this? And his response was, everything I do is voluntary. Nobody puts me up to anything. 
Um, and I know that some of some other people are going to say, well, the president put him up to that. And it's going to be uh, a matter of, no, the president didn't put him up to that. Uh, that clarification of his statement uh, about the mitigation and, and things of that nature. Um, in Trump's conference, well, this is outside the press conference, but um, he also said that, uh, or pardon me, I was listening to the the radio, and 72% of Americans said that they won't attend a large sporting event or a large gathering until a vaccine is found. Now, that's not 72% of 300 million people. No one has that much time to take that big of a poll. There were probably 1,100 people surveyed, and 72% of them said they wouldn't feel comfortable or they would not attend a large event such as a football game or baseball game or hockey if you're into that, uh, whatever. Sport, large sporting event where you have people sitting on, you know, basically on top of one another. They cram so many seats into these stadiums. Um, it's ridiculous. But 72% of Americans won't attend a large event like sports until there's a vaccine. Uh, so most people are comfortable with vaccinations. Um, the president, later on in his press conference, said that he has... They, they were talking about um, the reopening of the economy and states returning to normal. Now, he didn't elaborate enough, but the press started pushing back at him with, wait a minute, that's up to the state governors. The state governors are the ones that closed things down, and they should be the ones that reopened them. And I, I, this time I've got to agree with the press. I don't think the president should have that much power. And one of the reporters brought up even that uh, the Constitution says that all powers not expressly given to the federal government are the rights of the states. So... Trump says that he has the right to tell states to reopen the economies. Um, and then later on, he alluded that they're going to open things up a little at a time. Uh, you know, it's not going to be a one nationwide solution. So... He, he was very combative with reporters in this. And I think for the first time, it went a little too far. I, at first, was like, yeah, he's taking the press to the woodshed. And then after 
this comment that uh, he's got the total power to regulate and take and say open up your restaurants and stores and such is um, well restaurants and um, bars and whatever else is closed um, what are you know let non-essential workers go back to work it's my recollection those decisions were made by the states based off of recommendations from the federal government and I think it should be up to the states now he's gonna probably send out this is what he alluded to recommendations that say you know states that are not hit as hard like Wyoming uh, there are really three cities in Ohio that are being drastically hit by this this illness um, and that is those are uh, Cleveland Youngstown and Cincinnati mostly the Cleveland area but if you count per capita uh, Youngstown is the hardest hit they have the most cases and most deaths per 1,000 people or however they're breaking it down um, so it's going to be different, you know, maybe they're going to open up regions in states where, uh, you know, county by county. Some counties have no cases uh, in some states. Some states don't have very many cases statewide, period. So, you know, it's all going to be based on what's best. And he's, like Fauci said, Trump is following the recommendations of the doctors in the medical community so it's it's a very interesting set of events coming down um, so Trump is supposed to put together this legal brief and give it to the press that uh, he has ultimate authority over you know reopening the economy over the state governors that will be interesting to see the legal opinion he has his team draw up um, also at today's press conference the uh, the guy that's in charge of the IRS and getting us our welfare checks he announced that the first set of checks will go out or the first direct deposits are going out and should hit people's bank accounts on Wednesday if it if you didn't sign up for a direct deposit or it hasn't hit your bank account there's gonna be a portal I was wondering where the heck this was now this portal I wish they would have done it sooner. I'd like to get my welfare check as soon as possible. But they said Wednesday you can go to irs.gov and put your information in. And then you'll get your welfare check direct deposited. So that's going to be pretty cool to uh, you know get that uh, over and out. 10 for good buddy and such. Um, uh, a lot of folks, or at least here in Ohio, and if anybody watches and is from Ohio, please comment. 
Um, the uh, checks have not, the additional $600 that the federal government was supposed to chip in for tipped employees has not come yet. So, uh, I know at least one person that got her first um, unemployment check, and she did not get a $600 bonus from the federal government. She got like $130 after taxes. So, there is evidently a slowdown in getting the additional funding from the relief package to the states. And I thought I heard the other day that they were sending out to, you know, groups of states at a time. Um, I, I really don't feel that that was properly expressed when they uh, passed the bill and stuff. But, you know, they're going to have to work on that. We don't want a lot of a bunch of pissed off waitresses showing up to the polls in November and voting for Joe Biden because they didn't get their extra six hundred dollars they were promised. That's that's the bottom line. So with that, move, moving on up. Uh, right now, I want to just. Just get off politics and um, talk just about something else because this stuff is stressful. Um, you know, I, I'm out working with the public um, and... You know, I'm glad I still I can still go out and work. I know when the uh, governor of Ohio put out the uh, well, the health director technically, but you know, she being used as a tool of the governor to accomplish safety <coughs> and save lives. When they put out the order for all non-essential businesses to be closed, I made sure that my uh, business was essential. And I read the, the thing, the order, not the thing. And, you know, I, it specifically named, you know, the companies I have contracts with. So I'm, I'm allowed to go out and work, but it is stressful to be out there working in this uh, environment. Um, I see more and more people wearing the masks. <coughs> I have one. And I also have bad sinuses. But I have one that somebody made for me. And a cousin of mine is making me another one. But, uh, I mean, I haven't been wearing it. Don't tell anyone. Um, but you go to stores and people that do have masks on give you dirty looks. 
I was at uh, Walmart because I, I went on my Walmart app and saw that they had some uh, hand sanitizer and uh, Lysol uh, disinfectant spray um, available. And so um, I went to grab those and they didn't have Lysol. They had a more powerful, actually, in, uh, industrial strength um, spray, spray, whatever, germ killer. And also, they ha they didn't have the hand sanitizer I was looking for, but they did have some. So, I got what I could get. And there were, there were people lining up at the door before 7 a.m. when they opened. The store clerks had to come outside and ask people, more like announce, please make sure you're staying six feet apart. And uh, one little little old lady with a mask on said, Who do you think you are, the police? And, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, but the employees were doing really good at, you know, sanitizing the carts, sanitizing the credit card machine after people touched it. And, you know, it, it's a thankless, unappreciative job as it is. So, let's take our minds off of that. I um, remember, I mean, even now, if you've been following this channel for any time, you know I'm a, a wrestling fan. In fact, as I'm recording video with my computer, I have wrestling playing in the background on Hulu. Um, and so, in fact, I just flipped from camera mode to wrestling, um, but WrestleMania, WrestleMania number one, WrestleMania one, one of my best memories as a kid, um, back in the day, wrestling, like, wasn't on TV as much, and it wasn't on pay-per-view. Nothing was on pay-per-view television, okay? There was no such thing. You had to go either to the event, and this, um, I mean, this includes, like, the big Muhammad Ali fights, um, in fact, I don't even know if those were, I don't know if those were on this closed circuit stuff or not, but, um, there was an idiot named Evil Knievel. A lot of people, he's one of the people I don't understand why everyone idolizes, or some people idolize. He was a jerk. And uh, he would do these stunts, and they, that and wrestling 
and major boxing fights were on a thing called closed circuit TV or closed circuit broadcast. And you had to go to a movie theater that was showing it. And this wasn't like at every movie theater. It had to be like a movie theater that had a satellite dish. And so you really had to go out of your way to see these things. Um, and some people don't know that uh, Vince McMahon of the WWF was um, in on Evil Knievel's stunts when uh, Knievel would do his big jumps like over Snake River Falls, I think was the last one. It was on closed circuit television. And you were supposed to go to uh, a civic center or movie theater to watch this stunt on closed circuit TV. And um, n not a lot of people went. And Vince lost his butt on these evil Knievel stunts and some other things he tried to put on closed circuit television. So... As he was getting ready for WrestleMania number one, he had all his eggs in one basket. And what made it work was leading up to it, MTV had just gotten big and popular and national. And there was a guy named Captain Lou Albano who was a wrestling manager. And he was uh, somebody that had been in the wrestling business a long time. One of Vince's close associates and friends. Uh, he was left over from the Worldwide Wrestling Federation when Vince McMahon Sr. owned it. <clears throat> and... Vince McMahon Sr. sold it to Vince McMahon Jr. And Jr. changed it to the World Wrestling Federation. And slowly started to take over the entire United States. Which used to be divided into territories. Like New Nor the northeast part of the United States. From like Maine down to Pittsburgh. And a little bit into Ohio was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. And then, you know, like, the Carolinas, Virginia, um, I don't know what else was, uh, what, anyways, the Carolinas and Virginia were a, a different territory. And uh, the local, you know, TV stations in those states played their local wrestling. And sometimes there was a traveling champion and sometimes wrestlers would leave their territory, like Dusty Rhodes would leave Florida Championship Wrestling to come up and fight um, superstar Billy Graham in New York. And, uh, you know, things like that. So there was some crossing back and forth, but the wrestling promoters basically stayed in their territory and every now and then they would exchange top stars or people like Andre the Giant would go from territory to territory because he was a special attraction. But WrestleMania number one was the first time that 
wrestling was really going to be sent out across the United States. And it happened because on MTV, they had, through Cindy Lauper and her manager, I think it was Rick Wolf or Dave Wolf, um, they had started a thing where Captain Lou Albano would be was in Cindy Lauper videos, and they then there a mutual interest between Cindy Lauper and the WWF started, and so they used it as a promotion for each other, and that got WWF onto MTV, and they had things like the War to Settle the Score, uh, you know, with uh, Roddy Piper. And, I don't know, whoever Cindy Lauper's friends were, like Hulk Hogan. And then that led into the first WrestleMania. And they got um, Mr. T, who was a big deal at the time. He and Hogan had just worked together on Rocky Three, And... They started getting on MTV. They got Mr. T involved in wrestling. Uh, Mr. T was also on a show called The A-Team, which was one of the biggest uh, shows on television at the time. And so Vince realized if he brought stars from other genres into wrestling, it would increase the viewership of wrestling. And then when he got on MTV, that spread his audience all over the country. So they had all these musical superstars on MTV cutting promos uh, like Little Richard, you know, Roddy. I, I can't do Little Richard's voice, but he said like Roddy Piper, Hulk Hogan's going to beat you as ugly as an ape. Which, what? I don't even know what that means, but, <laughs> and so, you know, different musicians that were big on MTV, you know, cut their promos on Roddy Piper and how Mr. T was going to beat him up, and uh, the, uh, they had Dick Clark come into Madison Square Garden to do an angle where they were going to present Cindy Lauper. And Captain Lou with a special award. Uh, and Dick Clark was like the big music guy. He had a TV show that had been running since the 1950s uh, called American Bandstand. And um, it was starting to fade out because of MTV. And MTV was just cooler. But it was still going into the middle, late 80s. And uh, so... Then they had like uh, the Radio City Rockettes and uh, this famous piano player Liberace uh, in the wrestling ring dancing and kicking their legs up. It's what the Rockettes are known for is their high kicks. Um, and they had Billy Martin from the New York Yankees as a guest timekeeper and they put uh, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T together as a tag team and they were going to fight, you know, the evil Roddy Piper 
and his, his one of his bodyguards, Paul Orndorff, and uh, Piper's real bodyguard, Cowboy Ace Orton. Yeah, Cowboy Ace Orton, or Ace Cowboy Orton, whatever. And Cowboy Bob Orton had a broken arm for over a year, <laughs> maybe three or four years. He had his arm in a cast. And, uh, you know, it was just fun stuff. And I, I just remember watching that as a kid. And I was lucky I got to see it for free because I live in Ohio, but the nearest major city to me is Pittsburgh. And the satellite feed to Pittsburgh uh, didn't work at the um, closed circuit location. So the next day, the WWF had to put, I mean, they didn't have to, but to make it up to their fans, they put WrestleMania on free television. So I got to stay home and watch WrestleMania. I think I came home for, and maybe I I came home after school and it was on, but it was on at like an odd time of the day, and so I got to watch the first WrestleMania when a lot of kids uh, around the country didn't, unless they went to one of these closed circuit locations with their parents. Otherwise, you had to wait for it to come out on VHS videotape. And some of you don't even know what the heck that is. But, uh, they, you know, the first match was, uh, Playboy Buddy Rose wearing a mask versus, um, Ricky Steamboat, who was one of the greatest wrestlers. Him and Ric Flair had some of the best matches nobody ever saw. Uh, in the 1970s when they were both starting out. And then again in 1989 through 91, they had a series of matches. Uh, I think it was 89 and 90. They had a series of matches and they traded the World Heavyweight Championship back and forth. But uh, one of the funny things I remember is uh, Playboy Buddy Rose didn't last long in the WWF. And he ended up on uh, the American Wrestling Alliance, which was shown on ESPN. And he had a video. Uh, celebrities and different fitness people were coming out with their uh, <coughs> exercise at home videos. Jane Fonda was the most known for it. And it was. Um, hers were aerobic. And <laughs> Playboy Buddy Rose, however, had the opposite. He was going to teach people how to gain weight. And they came up with this commercial on AWA Wrestling of him doing jumping jacks and stuff with a donut in his mouth and his, you know, fat stomach and man boobs bouncing around. <laughs> And it was, if you want this, want to learn how to get in shape like me, 
Call 1-800-LARD-ASS, and you can be a lard-ass just like me. Call 1-800-LARD-ASS. <laughs> it was so silly. But uh, he was on the first WrestleMania at the opening match against Ricky Steamboat. And I think it was almost like an insult to Ricky Steamboat. Um, and to have him wrestle somebody like that uh, when Steamboat was probably one of the best wrestlers out there. Better than Hulk Hogan. But not as big and, uh, you know, Vince likes big guys. Vince McMahon likes big guys. So, uh, then, uh, Playboy Buddy Rose was wearing a mask and he was the, I don't know, the Invisible Man or something. <clears throat> the next match that I remember off of that show was... Um, very unmemorable to most people, but it was David Sammartino, uh, Bruno Sammartino's son, who was trying to break into wrestling at the time, and he didn't last long, because he just, he wasn't his dad, he was in shape, he was, you know, put together, he wasn't on steroids, like other wrestlers were starting to do at the time. And he wrestled a guy named Brutus Beefcake. He wasn't Brutus the Barber Beefcake yet. He was just Brutus Beefcake. And so he he's wrestling Brutus. And Brutus has Johnny Valiant, Lushy, Luscious. Johnny Valiant, who's uh, from Youngstown, Ohio area, I think. At least I saw him at Youngstown, Ohio one night at a Mick Foley uh, comedy show. Mick Foley was doing his stand-up comedy, a.k.a. stories of Mick Foley's life on, on the wrestling road. And uh, anyways, Luscious John was there, and he was known for interfering, so... Bruno was in David's corner. Um, Bruno very much retired at this point. And um, had his hair slicked back. Was uh, Wearing a sweater. I don't even know if he wanted to be there. But he was there for his son. And the match ended up with... Uh, I can't even tell you who won. But I remember it was really just... Beefcake was a terrible wrestler. Um, never really made it anywhere. He was a tag team champion with Greg Valentine eventually. Um, but... I mean, aside from his time as Bruce the Barber Beefcake, he was never really much of anything. You know, cutting people's hair after wrestling matches was basically, you know, his best gimmick. Um, but during this match, the one thing that really stood out to me is David San Martino had Beefcake down in a, in a chin lock, like... 
you know, his arm up under his chin. And San Martino is just gritting his teeth and grinding that headlock in. And Beefcake's just laying there on the mat, not doing any selling, not making any facial expression like he's in some sort of pain like he should have been. And at one point, he Bruce had these like elastic arm bands on that matched the color of his uh, wrestling pants. And during the hold, he stops and adjusts his, his forearm band. Uh, I'm like, that just looked fake as hell. You know, that really didn't make the, the wrestling hold look very painful. Um, but that's just how Brutus the Barber Beefcake wrestled. Um, later on, I heard him brag about how he beat up David San Martino and Bruno. Screw him. Uh, you know, and he still wrestles. He's turned his life around a little bit after uh, he almost died in some kind of accident and busted his face all up. Um, had to get all kinds of metal plates put in his face. Um, but another thing that I remember about wrestling is I, like I watch a lot of interviews on TV. And there was a time when the Iron Sheik was talking about Bruno San Martino. And there's a story. Uh, they asked the Sheik for his uh, recollection of where, I guess, some of the Pittsburgh Steelers linemen tried to see if they wanted to test Bruno San Martino to see how tough he was. And so they were getting the better of Bruno at, uh, I think it was at the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, it had to have been. And the sheik came out of the shower and sees this happening. And so he joins in the fight. And now, even though it's two on five, the odds were even. Because Bruno and the sheik were some big, big men for their time. Uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about going to... Uh, his first bodybuilding contest in the USA and how big Bruno's quads were. And you could see them through his uh, dress pants, how you know thick his legs were and how thick his neck was. And Arnold was intimidated, like, these are the judges in the United States. How am I ever going to win a contest when the judges look like this, you know? implying that Bruno looked better than he did. Um, and another, you know, like, interesting memory, like, David San Martino never got over as the next Bruno. And the only time the protege-mentor relationship ever got anyone over, however, was in the early 70s to mid-70s, um, Bruno brought along a guy named Larry Zabisco. And Larry Zabisco, <clears throat> this is when wrestlers were on the road like 350 days a year, but Larry was from Pittsburgh also. 
and he would drive by Bruno's house to see if he could see Bruno. And one day he finally got lucky and he could see through these big tall hedges that Bruno San Martino had. Uh, and Bruno was mowing his lawn or something. And he crawled through, Zabisco crawled through Bruno's hedges and Bruno was going to kill him. And here it, it's this kid, and he's like, Mr. San Martino, I, I want to be a wrestler like you. Will you train me? And so Bruno said, the only way I'll train you is if you go to college and get a college degree because most wrestlers don't, don't last very long. Wrestling's a tough business. And so... <clears throat> Larry went to college on a wrestling amateur wrestling scholarship, graduated, called Bruno to tell Bruno he graduated before he called his parents even. And Bruno's telling the story as he is inducting Larry Zabisco into the WWE Hall of Fame. And at the end of Larry Zabisco's Hall of Fame speech, well, let me back up. So you know, Bruno says, you know, they put him in Madison Square Garden and he sold the place out seven times as the main event and nobody thought he could do it and how Zabisco did all these great things. And Bruno went into retirement because his body was beat up. He had had a broken neck and different things. And so he talked, Larry Zabisco talked Bruno into hey, you got, you got to help me get over with the fans. You know, let's do this angle where we have an exhibition match and I'm get, and Bruno's getting the better of Larry. Every time Larry starts to get some offense, Bruno counters it and takes him down and all these things. And then finally, at the end of the match, Larry loses his temper and starts kicking the ropes and things. And I think he throws a chair at Bruno at one point. And the student, he was always known as Bruno's student, Bruno's protege. And Larry wanted to get away from that. And Larry wanted to be his own star and be over with the fans. And the only way to do that was to be hated by the fans. So the only time the student protege or the protege turning on the mentor angle worked or the mentor bringing up a protege worked in wrestling was Bruno and Larry Zabisco. Uh, so, you know, poor David obviously never turned on his father and never took off as his father's son. It just, he never got over. Um, I liked him because he was Bruno San Martino's son, and I had heard all these stories about how great Bruno San Martino was. And this was like at the time when people <coughs> still believed wrestling was a show, and wrestlers were called wrestlers and not performers. Um, and back to WrestleMania 1, somebody that really got uh, snookered or put aside... And WrestleMania number one was 
Superfly Jimmy Snuka. He was more popular with the fans than Hulk Hogan at the time. He was better looking than Hulk Hogan, had a better body. I mean, he was just chiseled out of stone. And Hulk was taller. He was bigger. But he just didn't have the... He never had, you know, cuts and definitions. He was just always a really big guy. And Vince McMahon wanted a big superhero guy that the fans could get behind and he could market and all this stuff. And... So, Snuka was in the corner of Mr. T and Hulk Hogan at the first WrestleMania. And he actually walked away from the company for a while after that because he felt uh, slighted by the Vince McMahon because he's like, this is the biggest show in wrestling history to this point. Why am I not on the show? Uh, why am I, you know, in the corner you know, like being a bodyguard to counter Roddy Piper's bodyguard. So, uh, Superfly Snuka, you know, really could have, I mean, he would have never been Hulk Hogan, though. And he would have never been somebody that kids, I mean, I liked him as a kid. I still have my lucky Jimmy Snuka wrestling doll that some I won in a bet when I was a kid. I won, it was a, my high, I was young, but my high school's football team versus a rival, and I was friends with uh, the statistician for the rival team. He was this, uh, he was just this cool guy that used to, you know, come into the restaurant my mom worked at, and I was always hanging out at my mom's job while she was working, and uh, you know, he would come in. And, Tell me, I was like little kid, and you know, telling me his adventures at the wet T-shirt contests in Atlanta, Georgia, and all these places he had been and stuff. But, uh, anyways, we put a bet on the on the uh, football high school football game, and my school won. So he he had to buy me a Jimmy Superfly Snooker wrestler. So. Anyway, WrestleMania 1, you know, those are just some memories I have as a kid, you know, growing up, watching this sport, being entertained. Of course, I was a huge Hulk Hogan and Mr. T fan and wanted to see Roddy Piper get beat up. And there's always been a, a, uh, I guess a controversy because... Vince McMahon <coughs> Vince McMahon put everything on WrestleMania 1. And if the closed circuit locations didn't sell out, he was done. The WWF was done. And so he, Vince gave all the credit to you know, Hulk Hogan for, you know, being on MTV. Uh, they were on Saturday Night Live. Him and Mr. T were the hosts. 
Hulk and Mr. T hosted Saturday Night Live the night before the first WrestleMania. And so Vince and Hulk and everybody went out and partied hardy after WrestleMania. And Piper came out of the shower expecting to see this entourage waiting to see him. And Hulk always said that Roddy thought that he was the star of the first WrestleMania. And Hulk says, no, I was the star. I was the reason people watched. And Roddy Piper in his book and in his uh, WWE um, bio, DVD, whatever you want to call it, said that, no, you didn't pay to see Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. You didn't pay to see Roddy Piper at WrestleMania. You paid to see Hulk Hogan beat the shit out of Roddy Piper. And that's how much heat Piper had with the fans was, yeah, people bought WrestleMania. People went to the Madison Square Garden. People went to the closed circuit locations to see this huge altercation and payoff where Hulk Hogan and Mr. T were going to beat up Roddy Piper. And they had all kinds of press conferences and, you know, meet, not really meet and greets, but public appearances by Hulk, Mr. T, Roddy Piper, and Paul Orndorff. And, and it was like... <clears throat> The hype leading, it was like the hype leading up to the Floyd Mayweather and, um, who was that MMA guy he just fought a couple years ago? Um, Conor McGregor. How they had, you know, multiple press conferences around the world to build up their fight. Piper, no, girl. Piper and Hogan and Mr. T did the same thing. Building up to WrestleMania 1. You know, it was all on MTV. It was on Saturday Night Live. It was on, you know, on press conferences. Uh, WWE, whatever, TV was only on once a week. But every Saturday morning you had an update for like a month or two of Mr. T and Hulk Hogan training. Hulk Hogan teaching Mr. T how to wrestle. Mr. T and Hulk Hogan lifting weights. Mr. T and Hulk Hogan running down the beach like Rocky and Apollo Creed. Uh, and, so you know, it was really well built up. And it saved the World Wrestling Federation and Vince McMahon um, at that point. And not long before this, I think um, it, they say that Linda McMahon, Vince's wife, was pregnant with their daughter Stephanie when Vince had to go and file bankruptcy for the WWF um, because it was it was just that dire he was putting so many eggs into baskets and was trying to expand his company rapidly. And he lost his ass on these stupid, 
evil Knievel stunts. And so if WrestleMania had not succeeded like it did, had MTV not been there to help promote WrestleMania and have, you know, the war to settle the score. And I think there, there was something, there was a brawl something. Not brawl for it all, but some kind of brawl and it rhymed. Vince McMahon did a lot of rhyming with his uh, angles and shows uh, in those days. Well, you know, like the Royal Rumble. Um, well, that was actually Pat Patterson's idea. But, um, you know, Vince, everything had to rhyme for Vince. And they actually wanted to, he wanted to call WrestleMania something else. But um, <clears throat> better judgment prevailed. And, of course, WrestleMania and Hulkamania, you know, makes sense, you know. Hulkamania just started running wild and all that. And the World uh, Heavyweight Championship wasn't even defended at the first WrestleMania by Hulk Hogan. He was the champion, but the main event was this gimmick match between Mr. T Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan. Um, I always leave Paul Orndorff out of it, but it ended. Uh, Roddy Piper hated Mr. T for being an actor and not being a wrestler. He hated Mr. T so much he wouldn't let Mr. T pin him. The match ended with Paul Orndorff putting his uh, signature move on Mr. T, which was the full Nelson. And then Cowboy Bob Orton was going to jump off the top rope and hit Mr. T with his cast on his allegedly broken arm. And at the last second, Mr. T turns and Bob Orton ends up hitting Paul Orndorff in the back of the neck. And then Mr. T is able to pin Paul Orndorff. Um, and then Piper and Cowboy Bob Orton take off and leave uh, Paul Orndorff in the ring to uh, get beat up by Hulk Hogan and Snuka and Mr. T a little more, I think. But, you know, that that's just one of those things, you know, when you're looking back at your memories and, and different stuff and you're sitting here alone with, uh, you know, the coronavirus knocking on your door. The things you remember and think about when you were a kid and growing up and, you know, those good memories. So, with that, I will sign off. I will say, stay safe. May God bless you. And pray for one another and have a good night.